Hello and welcome to the More to Life podcast. I am your host, Al Mace, and today we have the fabulous Laura Phelan. Hi, Laura. Hi, excited to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. I'm. This is going to be such a good conversation because I know it's just a subject that we have so much passion over. Um, so... Mm. Laura, you are a therapeutic coach. Give us just a bit of a bigger, better, deeper explanation of who you are. Yeah, we love we love a bigger, deeper, bigger, deeper combo. <laughs> so, yeah, therapeutic coach is my kind of title, if you will. Um, I've been doing this work for six or seven years. So predominantly, I got into this through my own journey, which I don't know if you want me to dive right into that now or just kind of give a little bit more of a synopsis um yeah synopsis yeah okay amazing so yeah essentially when I was a teen I went through the kind of ringer with my own relationship with my body with food ended up with quite a severe eating disorder and through that recovery process that really kind of started the the catalyst to the work I do now um I kind of realized well this is actually something that I've been able to overcome and that's something that I really want to be able to support other women with so I used to work in schools when I sort of started building the business. And then I started as a boxing coach, which always seems quite random. Um, but I was always very much into the fitness side, into the mental health side of the fitness. And what started to happen was I would have clients come in and we would work through their stresses. I used to work with uh, schizophrenic men in a, with a charity called Mind that you probably know of. Yeah. I used to do a lot of work with Beat. I was working in schools. So very similar to what I now do. But I needed to kind of create my own pathway for that, I guess. So I then retrained at the National Center for Eating Disorders, which I think we both trained there. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, you've done their training as well. That was my first main body of work. And then I went on to training as a fusion therapeutic life coach, CBT, body image, kind of the whole cohort of qualifications at that point. And then the role of therapeutic coach is really this essence of combining therapy and coaching. So with therapy, you've got the framework of the trauma-informed work, the belief mindset, being able to take your clients through that deep journey emotionally and psychologically. But the coaching framework enables that kind of behavior change, that movement forward, which is really important when we're looking at things like self-image, our relationship to self, and how that impacts certain areas of our life. So yeah, I took my story and my journey and then fused it into the career that I now have. In a nutshell, I'm sure we're going into that deeper, but that's kind of how I got to the the path and the place that I'm on today. Yeah, amazing. And then, so you're combining obviously your knowledge with, which I yeah. think is just so powerful, the experience of having lived it. I think with an eating disorder is like it's just yeah, like I said, it's powerful, life changing. It really is. Like I don't know about you, but I often think of my life as before and after an eating disorder. Like I was very quiet, timid, shy young girl not the loud, outgoing, the chatter dancing coach that I am today. And I honestly do put a lot of that down to the work that that space in my time as a young teenager enabled me to go through, the the work and the journey that that led me on to. So I really see it as a blessing. Um, And as you know, it can be such a turning point for so much in your life. Yeah, so let's kind of go into this. So I'm sure people are starting thinking, so how did this now turn you into this, like, you know, different person, no longer shy and, you know, all the rest of it. But there's going to be so much to this. So do you want to just start with the very beginning Mm. on what point of your life did this 
you know did you start mm. struggling how did when did you know that you were struggling so I started my eating disorder I started my eating disorder my eating disorder yeah gonna kind of cramp up on me when I was 13 so I was super young and I think now having worked in this space I do think back to that and think my god like that is that is really really young and for me it was very much a felt what like a classic case of starting those really early teenage years I developed quite early on you know I got my menstrual cycle when I was 11 years old I was developing quite quickly in my body secondary school you really have that crisis of self which is so interesting now that I work so much on the self-image piece because that crisis of self and that sense of self you don't have as a really young teen is such a difficult time I think especially for I mean if we think nowadays we can get onto that So for me, that eating disorder really, I think, was a way of controlling. It was a way of trying to figure out a sense of self. And it literally started with a diet, which is why I'm still pretty anti-diet in terms of my lifestyle. Um, I'm very pro having healthy nutrition and relationship with food because the wrong hands in someone that doesn't understand the complexities around that can really turn into an obsession. So while I don't look back and think there was one comment and one day that that happened, now, having worked on this side of things and been in the research and the psychology of it for so long, you know, you understand that it's a, a myriad of things. It's a myriad of experiences, trauma that you had as a child, perfectionist behaviors, not feeling good enough, living in a very diet centric, thin, positive world. And all of that combined really just kind of brought it up in me, I guess. So it developed quite severely. Turning 14 was the turning point for me. I've lost a lot of weight, which obviously doesn't happen for everyone. For me, that was one of the side effects, was very physically unwell. Um, and, but mainly, obviously, the mental side of it was what was really harrowing. And I really had that turning point. I think I turned 14. It was my actual birthday. And I remember thinking, this is going to kill me. This is going to take my life if I don't do anything. If I stay in this inaction, if I keep ignoring the therapists, dietitians, and the kind of help that was forced on me at that age because I didn't have a choice Mm. this is this is gonna end my life so that was quite luckily or amazingly depending on what way you look at it harrowingly the turning point where Mm. I sat with myself and I guess I had my first dark night of the soul at a super young age because no one else could make that decision for me you know Mm. I sat in my room and I went within and I decided to fight I decided I wanted to recover which was the only way that the therapy, dietitians, family support was going to help me. Mm. Because at the end of the day, I could do anything I wanted behind closed doors if I really chose to. So I really had to have that moment of clarity, which I did. And that was the start of the rest of my life, really. And I don't know how much you want to go into the recovery process, if you spoke about that much on the podcast, but it can be really, really difficult, really painful, so uncomfortable, really challenging to be essentially on this journey of what has become your norm almost like an addiction right I used to refer it to the worst best friend it's like being in a toxic relationship with yourself but it feels part of you but it's separate to you so it's very hard to see outside of it because it is part of you but it's not who you are and that's a way that I um, work with people on to kind of create that separation so yeah the recovery journey was long (laughs) 
painful. I was adolescent. You can imagine it was absolute hell for my mum. Like all oh. the things that come with that anyway. Oh, I you just, know? yeah, I absolutely think as a parent, mm. I mean, there's just so many things that it's just the worst thing you go for as a parent, but having being a parent yeah. and having a child sick with, you know, like, well, with any yeah. disorder, but especially anorexia, I just, it must be just the most awful thing. Hardest thing ever. And I, I have so much empathy for that now, you know, more so obviously then I didn't have the capacity. Um, so yeah, long story short with that, continued that recovery process you know was in therapy from the ages of 11 up until 17 which now I think is such a blessing you know I was working on things in myself that I now work with women on they've only started in their 30s you know our attachment style our traumas our relationship to our bodies our relationship to our to our minds and how we function and so that journey really led me into that and I think that's what probably brought this career into my life at such a young age you know I was 21 when I started volunteering when I started doing media work I did my first talk at the Women of the World Festival I think I'd just turned 22 which looking back complete baby but having gone through that experience you know obviously the more to life thing I, I saw that vision for myself very early on one of my main factors of recovering was thinking I do want a big life there is more to life than this yeah. and I have a purpose and passion that has to extend beyond me. So that was definitely one of the key motivators for that recovery process. And I think what burst the business and the mission and the work that I now do. Yeah. And actually you were quite lucky to have that turning point at 14. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Still so young. Um, mm. and not, I mean, obviously it wouldn't have been, okay, I'm going to switch off, the, I'm going to come out of this now. But yeah. even to have that realisation of, I need I need to recover from this however I do it is amazing yeah it's it's one of those things that if I'm going through a difficult period now I will often think back to that version of me because you don't even have the brain capacity at that age you no know, mind the fact that my brain was starving it was something else it was probably that very spiritual part of me that I wouldn't have known at that time that was just like a room like this is what you've got to do this is what you're going to do and you're going to go forth with it um very powerful on reflection as a 31 year old woman to think back yeah. to that moment now yeah so at school then at that at that 13 14 yeah. obviously your parents were saw mm. what was going on had to step in people at school what was kind of like your support system did you have a good support system mm. I did but god like what is that like 16 years ago yeah so so different to now it wasn't really ever brought to my attention in a way that no one sat me down at school and said you have an eating disorder they did in the doctors and at home but it wasn't what it is now like now I think if I went into a school where I was working in school again and saw me at 14 I would have been sectioned very quickly Mm. I was it was I guess brushed under the carpet in in terms of the research and the knowledge that we had around what to do so the support that I had, though, did come through quite quickly. Uh, my friends obviously didn't really understand what was going on. My teachers tried. But when my mum took me to the doctor, there was probably about a three-month gap between them saying I was fine to me completely deteriorating. But I did get into CAMS, which is the, the young person service, quite quickly. Mm. And I think that was probably to do with just maybe luck in my area because I had a single parent. We would have never been able to afford private treatment. Mm. You know, we lived in a council estate. So very, very grateful. Such a word that we had that access to treatment. 
And yeah, so I had a good support system in a way, but it was so misunderstood that I didn't feel like anyone understood me, especially not my friends nor my family. It was probably only something I could really put into my own words and expression when I was sort of 17, 18. So I would say that was when the real kind of healing and the alchemization happens because I couldn't really vocalize or even make sense of what had happened. I was just like, well, I just need to get better and follow the rules of this, you know, medical plan that I have. So the support system, I would say, almost came later on when I was able to voice my needs and what I needed for that process. Yeah, and be able to explain kind of what was really going on for you for you during that time. Yeah. You know, a bit more kind of yeah, I think when you're in it, especially at that age, you don't realise what you're in, do you? You don't realise what's actually going on for you. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Well, really scary, but it is just like kind of like possession, I've often referred to it as. Possession. That that voice in your head. Uh, it's, it's it is like something it is so hard to explain to someone unless they've had it that control mm-hmm. that possession that kind of you and whatever they the, the voice says goes I remember the voice mm-hmm. saying to me this is what you'll each day and that's that or mm-hmm. whatever it was and it would be like a non-negotiable just it wouldn't mm-hmm. even be worth fighting back yeah it was so powerful and overpowering mm. do you ever hear that voice now or not hear that voice to that extent but Mm. does that voice ever come up for you it's such a good question because there's a lot of I guess rhetoric around you know full recovery is never possible Mm. and I've always disagreed with that mainly because I also think that it's a very damaging message to have Mm. and to say because I think if you're deep in the senses of an eating disorder if someone says to you you're really unlikely to fully recover from this that's not helpful no. And there is so much more now that we have access to, like if you think of the kind of spiritual healing space that I think is so beneficial for things like our mental health. You know, we've got plant medicine, we've got tons more depth of knowledge. I have never heard that voice again. However, I have been through life experiences where that child, that 14, 15 year old has visited and those feelings have come up and I've had to sit with her. So whilst it isn't the kind of eating disorder voice and that I guess would have probably years to leave, probably 17, 18, 19 when it fully left, we're talking years, past that never again because it was very distorted. It's, it is like a little dark gremlin in your head. I definitely revisited that part of myself and the wounding that, was beneath the voice and the eating disorder that had needed the nurturing. But the reason that I got there, the lack of sense of self, the shaky version, and that happened, I think, 18 months ago when I went through a breakup from a 10-year relationship. That was a time, actually, where I really had to revisit that version of me. I met that partner in my recovery. So that was hugely triggering. It's triggering in the right word. It was quite unveiling. And I had to use a lot of my own foundations and tools to to really make sure that part of myself felt seen and nurtured and safe again. So the voice has never returned, but I've definitely had to return to that inner child, really, because it was child, and make sure that that, that part of me was okay. 
because mm, it's all connected is yeah. like that breakup with a person who for some people would be like well mm. that's not relating to the food mm-hmm. it's connected that safety that Love security that. that yeah god it's so funny because that's literally what happened to me like really yeah wow. I mean I obviously don't know the ins and outs but I have mating disorders and I and then well I hadn't quite put them at bay and then I went for a 10-year after a 10-year breakup and me sideways with my eating disorder it, it, it is it's brought the eating disorder back actually yeah, um I can understand how yeah exactly kind of what you're saying it just is there it, that again shows you like there's so many different acts, aspects in your life that will contribute mm. to you know many. to why you've had it or why you've got it can you just touch on the reasons why you think if you're happy to share the reasons why mm. you think you you suffered from an eating disorder yeah definitely now with the knowledge I have because I definitely looked back and I was like nothing that traumatic happened things were fine now with the wealth of knowledge I have and the understanding, I had in some ways quite a difficult upbringing. You know, we we lived in what this country might recognise as a form of poverty. You know, I had a single parent who loved me to the ends of the earth, but we had to use a food bank sometimes. I went to a school where I had to fight for my grades because of the way I was raised, thinking that I was never going to be good enough. So that was the message pumped in. I always had to work harder, try harder. Nothing was ever easy to us. So I think there was always a sense of not being quite good enough or quite worthy enough purely because of my circumstances. That was definitely part of it. And I think a lot of it actually, which is where the self-image work that I now do is still so important, is literally the, the work around the sense of self. Because at that age, even though at the time that I developed the eating disorder, if you look back, I was seemingly quite happy like I was in a quite a nice friendship group. I settled into secondary school. The year before I'd extended it, I'd been through a lot of bullying. The year before that, you know, I was a very shy, kind of quiet girl. And so the build-up, I would say, of all of that meant that when I was, you know, 13 years old and, you know, wanted to go on the a certain cereal diet and started exercising, for me, it just very quickly flipped because I wasn't aware, like you're not, how shaky my relationship to me was, how much was in there, how much perhaps the way I had been raised or I'd grown up without a lot of safety and a lot of security around me meant that I had to become that for myself. So there was a lot, I guess, that revealed itself in that space of how much that control and that element of relying on myself kind of manifested deeply in that relationship with food and my body image because I did have heightened control over it Mm. I had a real sense of I remember thinking no matter what happens in my life I've got this to rely on this was like my crutch it was my fallback and I think there's something maybe significant about at 13 14 years old feeling like you needed that from outside of your you know support system your school whatever it is but there was something within me that I think believed that at that age yeah definitely do you feel like because you're you're kind of similar uh, age to me a bit older than you um do you feel like there was this attachment for your worth being on your size but a really long time yeah Mm. 
but it was also it was also this identity thing so it was worse but I would say stronger than that it, it became this identity so you know when if I think back to like upbringing like I'm quite small height wise so I'm like five three just if you can even call it that <laughs> so what I've all I've grown up with and this is the, the work that now I would understand from doing this work I grew up with people saying you're tiny you're small you're petite you're so small this doesn't fit you it's too big on you obviously you have the kind of puppy fat stage but that was my main messaging and and I think there was something about that that when I then developed an eating disorder I latched onto it there was something I think around it that felt safer or more comforting so yes worse but the worth piece came a lot later I didn't really think or look at my body until I was 17 18 if that makes sense first kind of came this identity piece then the worth piece came in because then I got social media and then I started you know being revealed to the world of photographs so that was a whole other experience of body image work which is why I'm so passionate about that work now because I wasn't taken through that no one gave me work therapy support around how to manage how I looked at my relationship with how I looked how my relationship with how I felt about how I looked how to nourish and feed my body no one did any of that with me they just looked at kind of getting this thing out of my head and then whatever I was left with feeling or thinking about my body was up to me so I think that worth piece almost came from me then the very quick overexposure flipping into iPhone worlds and it was Bebo and like MySpace at the time, if you remember. Like yeah. it came later, weirdly. Yeah, yeah, MySpace it's journey. I forgot all about that, and even people's yeah. um, names on MySpace would be like, oh, sexy. I don't know. Yeah, sexy. they're a bit mad. <laughs> mad names. Yeah, yeah. It's that is so true about that. Na- that the naming, the identity, like when you you kind of like you don't think maybe that you are enjoying it but actually I remember kind of quite enjoying the fact that everyone was calling me small and you know a pocket rocket and all these kind of things would be like oh yeah you you wouldn't you kind of it was not necessarily a conscious thing but subconsciously it's like I need to continue to have that identity and what if I don't yeah especially because we live in a world and society that celebrates thinness, smallness, all of that so much. So it wasn't just that it became like an identity piece, I imagine for you as well. It was also that the outside world was like, yeah, well done. That's good. That's exactly what it's fit into. So it's really a recipe for disaster because you're actually fitting into something that a lot of people are aspiring to, yeah. which is where the real danger starts. Yeah, people aspiring to it. And for me, completely, um, like, I I couldn't have kept it up. It was so unrealistic Mm. for me. You know, especially Mm. looking at a a lifespan. Yeah, yeah, maybe in your teens or your 20s, but not 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Like, it's just unattainable. Yeah, completely. So your your recovery then, what would you say was your kind of biggest catalyst for change? Like, what was your your kind of like these couple of things really enabled my recovery say myself but it's like I need to say I feel like I need to say deeper about what I mean by that (laughs) (laughs) my I guess mindset which I wouldn't have thought of at the time self-talk and mindset 
because even now I am so hot every day on my self-talk on the way I talk to myself and what I put out into the world it's the main thing I work with clients on like I really truly believe your mindset and how you talk to yourself and your belief system is literally the mirror and the the starting point for anything whether that's your career whether that's how the day that you're going to have so for me learning and understanding my thoughts and understanding the feelings and the the chatter that I would have internally and learning how to manage that was so key and so important. You know, I was learning things like boundaries at the age of 15, 16 and how to navigate difficult conversations with friends who were dieting. So learning how to manage, I would say myself from a, from a place of mindset in terms of what I was taking in and the internet, things like boundaries and really that developing that really strong sense of self because I had to in order to survive. I would say that's one of them, that sense of self-peace. Second, most important, the bigger picture, the purpose, which has led me into this work. If you're recovering from something as deep as an eating disorder or any mental health illness, I do truly believe that having purpose and that bigger picture is such a huge part knowing that the world is bigger than you, knowing that there are things bigger than your own problems or your own world that you've created, and knowing that you get to be part of that creation for whatever that is and whatever you choose to put your energy into, that can be such a beautiful way to get through it because it's bigger than you. It's bigger than those thoughts. It's bigger than that world around you. And you get to channel all of the energy that you were putting into keeping up what was kind of hard work, actually, if you think about it. It's bloody hard work of an eating disorder. It's not easy, which is a weird thing to say, but it's really not. It is like a full-time toxic relationship. Imagine channeling all of that energy into not only rebuilding yourself, but creating a life and a vision and whatever that looks like something that you're passionate about like all of that energy that you use just gets to be channeled and redirected and that was the second I would say most pivotal thing but really not just being in quasi recovery but fully recovering thriving setting myself free making things bigger than me volunteering traveling creating the business that was when things really truly felt like they were put to bed with my eating disorder I had no space for it yes yeah the space it like you say it takes up so much space and actually for all those people that are like are in it at the moment as exactly what you've just said imagine taking all of that energy and putting it into something purposeful how much you could thrive in something like you say it's a full-time full-time energy that you could use somewhere else in your life completely so those I think were the main two things that really helped yeah again it comes back down to you your self-worth how you feel about kind of yourself um that's amazing I I also think you're giving your story and giving your journey to people is uh, people listening will be like this is all stuff that I can do like yeah your two biggest things for recovery there are two things that are very accessible to anybody yeah you've just got to want it enough which is kind of like anything, yes, and that was the greatest teacher for life. You do have to want it enough. And I think you have to be quite disciplined. You have to be disciplined with things that are kind of the opposite of what you know. 
But just like building a business, which I'm sure you relate to, I imagine my fire for building a business as a 21 year old with like zero experience or knowledge and whacking 3K on a credit card to have a business mentor, which was insane to my friends who were living at home with their parents. And I was just like, no biggie, because I knew myself so well by that point. I was like, I know how to alchemize. I know how to create. I know how to turn my life into something that is born from what I choose and from what I see bigger than than me for this world. And that came, I would say, from that recovery process because that was something I thought I'd never be able to do or overcome. And that made everything else quite limitless. And that's a really beautiful thing to remember if you're really in that journey. Sometimes rock bottom can be a beautiful place to start from because literally the only way is up and through. And when you are through that, the way that you see the world and where you experience things and the reason why I will go and like dance for chatter on the bandstand in the middle of Brighton, because even though I have no idea what I'm doing, now I'm getting very good. Is because <laughs> oh, I, don't yeah, have, yeah. <laughs> I don't have those inhibitions. I don't have those things that tell me stay small, stay quiet. I did that. And I quite literally learned what it felt like to nearly lose my life. And since then, I, I will never stop fighting for a bigger and better and braver, bolder, more fun one. And I would just love if I could give a message today for someone in those trenches to know that that transformation and that alchemization, I guess, of the process is possible as well. Mm, amazing. Yeah, totally. And then just moving on to your relationship mm. that you then, so you were, you, you met mm. someone when you were recovering or about to recover in that period. Yeah. yeah. Like the latest stages of my recovery. So would you say your relationship to food and your body, even though you're kind of a bit more on the positive side mm. of it, did it did it kind of creep into your relationships, like your the sexual in- intimacy or just like being able to kind of give and receive? Or had you already kind of sorted that part mm. of you out? It did impact, I would say, the intimacy, but not so much around the body stuff by that point. It was so really funny. It was more to do with the fact that I was um, very like, I was like in my degree, in my last year of my degree. So I was like super determined. I didn't want to be distracted. So I was quite like slow with the journey of getting into that relationship. I'd also had quite a difficult sexual experience earlier that year, which meant that I was quite protective of myself and my body. So that was part of it, but not really in terms of that element. What, What I did struggle with though was, the food area like I didn't eat a meal with him for about five months I remember we went on holiday and I was like oh my god we've never eaten a meal together which was wild because I could just I just avoided it I just like we'd, we'd had like little things here and there but that was something that was very vulnerable for me uh yeah. photographs I think being in a bikini at that point on holiday I think I was 19 or 20 that was an edge and that was something that took a lot but that relationship at that point was also very very uh, impactful in a positive way that was a real um turning point for a lot of my confidence and a lot of my self-love so a lot of beauty came from that as well because I had to I had to let that person in I had to go through those experiences together so that was actually a really healing experience for me I would say yeah so even though you'd kind of you you know you were recovering recovered you still had this you still recognized that somehow you hadn't had a meal together like there was still some sort of kind of like protection Mm. up there or well I mean it's also complex isn't it like why you had had a meal you know do do you even know 
feel like at that point it just felt like quite scary it felt quite vulnerable and exposing I even though I was like further in the recovery journey I think it felt like something I wasn't ready to give a lot of headspace to until I had to yeah yeah definitely you've you've done incredibly well to go to to have that experience at such a young age through school through and being able to then continue with school and I'm guessing you did your GCSEs because you went on to university yeah Yeah. to take on the degree of university which I know a lot of people really Mm -hmm. struggle with um their relationship with food when they're doing things like degrees and masters yeah yeah really did have a huge amount of resilience thank you yeah it taught me that (laughs) I guess yeah I don't know if I could have chucked in like serious studies like that Mm. (laughs) I was quite good and quite good at channeling hyper-focusing amazing and so kind of like fast forwarding from that moment then so you kind of recovered around like 20 years old something like that so 20 yeah like properly to where you're at now have you had any other like more to life experiences god so many oh my god like I would I would say like that that process of the recovery but then into the creation of the business but even before that like volunteering with Beat so really getting a voice around that recovery and having that connection and feeling like I was part of something like that was so special like I remember I worked in a school once I was 22 and the ITV asked if I'd go on an interview and like they picked me up and like that was such a cool moment I was like I think I was like hungover classics I was like 20 <laughs> and I was like on the way to this ITV interview like just on my on the break of my school job and I remember just being like this is why you this is what you fought for this is the result of what you fought for like not only that I was working with those kids in that school but that I was also able to impact on a more global scale like what what had what I'd been through and the you know what around that could be done essentially so that was a really cool moment when I started to really see the impact I could have by simply sharing starting the business obviously was also that I worked in Harley Street for a while which was a bit of a mind-blowing moment because again like all of these things at one point when you think you're not even going to survive to be doing a business and having people come to you for the healing that you essentially needed and had but also having your own flavor on it your own journey with it and your own tools and a you know a mixture of medicine I guess that I put together to to help people traveling one moment to life moments anywhere I travel I lived in Costa Rica for five weeks that was some of the most awakening moments I've sat with ayahuasca which oh brought more to universe I'd say than more to life but (laughs) <laughs> that was friggin' wild. That was like the catalyst, I would say, for like the next. That was 20, I was 29. I then turned 30, came out of a 10 year relationship, moved to Brighton, pivoted in my business, sat and returned. Or, you know, I had like my next rebirth 20 recovery from each sort of 30. An entire new self was born, as we do. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. So many of them. And now, honestly, like living in Brighton and I'm learning to dance like salsa and bachata, that brings me so much joy doing the work that I'm still doing like all of it all of it feels like that and I think that's what that process taught me is that every area of my life I kind of have that relation in like I want to feel that joy and that fulfillment in everything I do in my career and my hobbies and my friendships 
in how I show up, I try and have that intentionality because there is so much more to life and, and what we're given and it's up to us to make the most of it. So that's why I really infuse, I would say, through everything that I do. Yeah, I love that. That is so, it's, you just say it as well, so much passion and it is so true. Anyone listening, it's like, actually, yeah, have a look around. Like what's going on for you? Mm. You don't want to be doing anymore. Who is, you know, not yeah. adding to your life or taking away and, you really can go mm. and get the friendships that you want and get the relationships and the jobs and et cetera, et cetera. I, uh, I didn't realize you'd done ayahuasca. I would have to have pick up on that in a separate conversation. I'm, yeah. so, I'm so keen, but I'm also like, oh, I'm so scared that it will t- show me something that I'll have to like change everything about my life. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard to comment because everyone's is so different. I never want to like, my experience is my experience. Um, yeah. was, it yeah, positive, was it a positive one? It was everything at once. Okay. Yes. And there's so much it revealed to me, so much, but not in the way that you think it's going to. Yeah. So it's hard to speak into without sounding so cryptic because there was really, really dark, painful moments and there was really blissful, incredible, wild things that came from it. Um, But it's just very, very unique. I'm just grateful that we have plant medicine as a root of healing for anyone that is interested in it but again it's like you know it's not having a cup of tea <laughs> it's, it's not to be taken lightly is what I would say I don't want to like glamorize or like make it trendy it's a yeah. re- it's like a six to 12 month journey it is not just that 10 day or 12 or seven day trip it is a really big commitment so yeah yeah one day one day Maybe yeah, not. I would now. recommend like living in the jungle after for a bit. Like coming back to just like a city life was just like wild. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm most scared about? I'm most scared about doing it and then having to look after my three kids the next day. <laughs> Being like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you could like bring them to the jungle with you for a while, you'd be cool. But you need, yeah, you need exactly. that integration space exactly. to be like all in the eighth realm and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, Laura, it's been so good to finally get us in and finally chat to you. Oh. Um, so where can everyone find you on your social medias? So I'm on Instagram. This is Laura Phelan. I'm I'm still around. I've been on there. I've been on there for ages. I'm a bit of an OG. And I've got a website, which you can just find through my LinkedIn. Well, not my LinkedIn, my Linktree. I am also on LinkedIn, actually. I'm more active on there these days. So it's another place to connect with me. And in Brighton, if you're local, I do lots of local events. So I run women's circles. I do events with yoga studios. And yeah, just message me, connect with me. I always love to hear if anything resonates or if you're interested in working with me. I mainly work one-to-one. I do workshops and events. And yeah, you can just watch that. Yeah, Lash, I will put this all in the show notes as well so people can find you mm-hmm. there. Thank you so much and have a lovely oh. evening. We'll speak again oh. soon. Thank you. Thanks, all. Bye.